Chapters 24 and 25 of A House of Gentlefolk by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 24 He found them all at home, but he did not at once disclose his plan to them. He wanted to discuss it first with Lisa alone. Fortune favored him. They were left alone in the drawing room. They had some talk. She had had time by now to grow used to him, and she was not shy as a rule with anyone. He listened to her, watched her, and mentally repeated Lem's words and agreed with them. It sometimes happens that two people who are acquainted, but not on intimate terms with one another, all of a sudden grow rapidly more intimate in a few minutes, and the consciousness of this greater intimacy is at once expressed in their eyes, in their soft and affectionate smiles, and in their very gestures. This was exactly what came to pass with Lavretsky and Lisa. So he is like that, was her thought, as she turned a friendly glance on him. So you are like that, he too was thinking. And so he was not very much surprised when she informed him not without a little faltering, however, that she had long wished to say something to him, but she was afraid of offending him. Don't be afraid. Tell me, he replied and stood still before her. Lisa raised her clear eyes to him. You are so good, she began, and at the same time she thought, yes, I am sure he is good. You will forgive me. I ought not dare to speak of it to you, but how could you why did you separate from your wife lavretsky shuddered he looked at lisa and sat down near her my child he began i beg you do not touch upon that wound your hands are tender but it will hurt me all the same i know lisa went on as though she did not hear him she has been to blame towards you i don't want to defend her but what god has joined how can you put asunder? Our convictions on that subject are too different, Lisaveta Mikhailovna, Lavretsky observed rather sharply. We cannot understand one another. Lisa grew paler. Her whole frame was trembling slightly, but she was not silenced. You must forgive, she murmured softly, if you wish to be forgiven. Forgive, broke in Lavretsky. Ought you not first to know whom? you are interceding for forgive that woman take her back into my home that empty heartless creature and who told you she wants to return to me she is perfectly contented with her position i can assure you but what a subject to discuss here her name ought never to be uttered by you you are too pure you are not capable of understanding such a creature why abuse her lisa articulated with an effort the trembling of her hands was perceptible now you left her yourself fedor ivanitch but i tell you retorted lavretsky with an involuntary outburst of impatience you don't know what that woman is then why did you marry her whispered lisa and her eyes fell lavretsky got up quickly from his seat why did i marry her I was young and inexperienced. 
I was deceived, I was carried away by a beautiful exterior. I knew no women, I knew nothing. God grant you may make a happier marriage. But let me tell you, you can be sure of nothing. I too might be unhappy, said Lisa. Her voice had begun to be unsteady. But then I ought to submit. I don't know how to say it. But if we do not submit... Lavretsky clenched his hands and stamped with his foot. Don't be angry, forgive me, Lisa faltered hurriedly. At that instant, Maria Dmitrievna came in. Lisa got up and was going away. Stop a minute, Lavretsky cried after her unexpectedly. I have a great favor to beg of your mother and you to pay me a visit in my new abode. You know, I have had a piano sent over. Lem is staying with me. The lilac is in flower now. You will get a breath of country air, and you can return the same day. Will you consent? Lisa looked towards her mother. Maria Dmitrievna was assuming an expression of suffering, but Lavretsky did not give her time to open her mouth. He at once kissed both her hands. Maria Dmitrievna, who was always susceptible to demonstrations of feeling, and did not at all anticipate such effusiveness from the dolt, was melted and gave her consent. While she was deliberating which day to fix, Lavretsky went up to Lisa and, still greatly moved, whispered to her aside, Thank you. You are a good girl. I was to blame and her pale face glowed with a bright, shy smile. Her eyes smiled, too. Up to that instant she had been afraid she had offended him. "'Vladimir Nikolaitch can come with us?' inquired Maria Dmitrievna. "'Yes,' replied Lavretsky. "'But would it not be better to be just a family party?' "'Well, you know, it seems,' began Maria Dmitrievna. "'But as you please,' she added. It was decided to take Lenochka and Shurochka. Marfa Timofeyevna refused to join in the expedition. It is hard for me, my darling, she said, to give my old bones a shaking, and to be sure there's nowhere for me to sleep at your place. Besides, I can't sleep in a strange bed. Let the young folks go frolicking. Lavretsky did not succeed in being alone again with Lisa but he looked at her in such a way that she felt her heart at rest, and a little ashamed, and sorry for him. He pressed her hand warmly at parting. Left alone, she fell to musing. Chapter 25 When Lavretsky reached home, he was met at the door of the drawing-room by a tall, thin man in a threadbare blue coat, with a wrinkled but lively face, with dishevelled grey whiskers, a long straight nose, and small fiery eyes. This was Mikhalevich, who had been his friend at the university. Lavretsky did not at first recognize him, but embraced him warmly directly he told his name. They had not met since their Moscow days. Torrents of exclamations and questions followed. Long buried recollections were brought to light, hurriedly smoking pipe after pipe, tossing off tea at a gulp, 
and gesticulating with his long hands mihalevitch related his adventures to lavretsky there was nothing very inspiring in them he could not boast of success in his undertakings but he was constantly laughing a hoarse nervous laugh a month previously he had received a position in the private counting-house of a spirit tax contractor two hundred and fifty miles from the town of o and hearing of lavretsky returned from abroad he had turned out of his way so as to see his old friend mihalevitch talked as impetuously as in his youth made as much noise and was as effervescent as of old lavretsky was about to acquaint him with his new position but mihalevitch interrupted him muttering hurriedly i have heard my dear fellow i have heard who could have anticipated it and at once turned the conversation upon general subjects i must set off to-morrow my dear fellow he observed to-day if you will excuse it we will sit up late i want above all to know what you are like what are your views and convictions what you have become what life has taught you mihalevitch still preserved the phraseology of eighteen thirty as for me i have changed in much the waves of life have broken over my breast who was it said that though in what is important essential i have not changed i believe as of old in the good the true but i do not only believe i have faith now yes i have faith faith listen you know i write verses there is no poetry in them but there is truth i will read you aloud my last poem i have expressed my truest convictions in it listen mihalevitch fell to reading his poem it was rather long and ended with the following lines i gave myself to new feelings with all my heart and my soul became as a child's and i have burnt all i adored and now adore all that i burnt as he uttered the two last lines mihalevitch all but shed tears a slight spasm the sign of deep emotion passed over his wide mouth his ugly face lighted up lavretsky listened and listened to him and the spirit of antagonism was aroused in him he was irritated by the ever-ready enthusiasm of the moscow student perpetually at boiling point before a quarter of an hour had elapsed a heated argument had broken out between them one of these endless arguments of which only russians are capable after a separation of many years spent in two different worlds with no clear understanding of the other's ideas or even of their own catching at words and replying only in words they disputed about the most abstract subjects and they disputed as though it were a matter of life and death for both they shouted and vociferated so that everyone in the house was startled and poor lem who had locked himself up in his room directly after mihalevitch arrived was bewildered and began even to feel vaguely alarmed what are you after all 
a pessimist cried mihalevich at one o'clock in the night are pessimists usually like this replied lavretsky they are usually all pale and sickly would you like me to lift you with one hand well if you are not a pessimist you are a skeptic that's still worse mihalevich's talk had a strong flavor of his mother country little russia and what right have you to be a skeptic you have had ill luck in life let us admit that was not your fault you were born with a passionate loving heart and you were unnaturally kept out of the society of women the first woman you came across was bound to deceive you she deceived you too observed lavretsky grimly granted granted i was the tool of destiny in it what nonsense i talk though there is no such thing as destiny it is an old habit of expressing things inexactly but what does that prove it proves this that they distorted me from my childhood well it's for you to straighten yourself what's the good of being a man a male animal and however that may be is it possible is it permissible to reduce a personal so to speak fact to a general law to an infallible principle how a principle interrupted lavretsky i don't admit no it is your principle your principle mihalevich interrupted in his turn you are an egoist that's what it is he was thundering an hour later you wanted personal happiness you wanted enjoyment in life you wanted to live only for yourself what do you mean by personal happiness and everything deceived you everything crumbled away under your feet what do you mean by personal happiness i ask you and it was bound to crumble away either you sought support where it could not be found or you built your house on shifting sands or speak more plainly or i can't understand you or you may laugh if you like or you had no faith no warmth of heart intellect nothing but one farthing's worth of intellect you are simply a pitiful antiquated voltairian that's what you are i'm a voltairian yes like your father and you yourself do not suspect it after that exclaimed lavretsky i have the right to call you a fanatic alas replied mihalevich with a contrite air i have not so far deserved such an exalted title unhappily i have found out now what to call you cried the same mihalevich at three o'clock in the morning you are not a skeptic not a pessimist not a voltairian you are a loafer and you are a vicious loafer a conscious loafer not a simple loafer simple loafers lie on the stove and do nothing because they don't know how to do anything they don't think about anything either but you are a man of ideas and yet you lie on the stove you could do something and you do nothing you lie idle with a full stomach and look down from above and say it's best to lie idle like this because whatever people do is all rubbish leading to nothing and from what do you infer that i lie idle lavretsky protested stoutly why do you attribute such ideas to me and besides that you are all 
all the tribe of you, continued Mikhailovich, cultivated loafers. You know which leg the German limps on. You know what's amiss with the English and the French. And your pitiful culture goes to make it worse. Your shameful idleness, your abominable inactivity is justified by it. Some are even proud of it. I'm such a clever fellow, they say. I do nothing while these fools are in a fuss. Yes, and there are fine gentlemen among us, though I don't say this as to you, who reduce their whole life to a kind of stupor, of boredom, get used to it, live in it like, like a mushroom in white sauce. Mikhailovich added hastily, and he laughed at his own comparison. Oh, this stupor of boredom is the ruin of Russians. Ours is the age for work, and the sickening loafer. But what is all this abuse about? Lavretsky clamoured in his turn. Work? Doing? You'd better say what is to be done instead of abusing me, Dismosthenes of Poltava. There! What a thing to ask! I can't tell you that, brother. That everyone ought to know for himself, retorted the Dismosthenes ironically. A landowner, a nobleman, and not know what to do. You have no faith, or else you would know. No faith and no intuition. Let me at least have time to breathe. You don't let me have time to look round, Lavretsky besought him. Not a minute, nor a second, retorted Mikhailovich with an imperious wave of the hand. Not one second. Death does not delay, and life ought not to delay. And what a time, what a place for men to think of loafing, he cried at four o'clock, in a voice, however, which showed signs of sleepiness. Among us, now, in Russia, where every separate individual has a duty resting upon him, a solemn responsibility to God, to the people, to himself. We are sleeping, and the time is slipping away. We are sleeping. Permit me to observe, remarked Lavretsky, that we are not sleeping at present, but rather preventing others from sleeping. We are straining our throats like the cocks. Listen, there is one crowing for the third time. This sally made Mikhailovich laugh, and calmed him down. Goodbye till tomorrow, he said with a smile and thrust his pipe into his pouch. Till tomorrow, repeated Lavretsky, but the friends talked for more than an hour longer. Their voices were no longer raised, however, and their talk was quiet, sad, friendly talk. Mikhailovich set off the next day, in spite of all Lavretsky's efforts to keep him. Fyodor Ivanovich did not succeed in persuading him to remain, but he talked to him to his heart's content. Mikhailovich, it appeared, had not a penny to bless himself with. Lavretsky had noticed with pain the evening before all the tokens and habits of years of poverty. His boots were shabby. A button was off on the back of his coat. 
on his arrival he had not even thought of asking to wash and at supper he ate like a shark tearing his meat in his fingers and crunching the bones with his strong black teeth it appeared too that he had made nothing out of his employment that he now rested all his hopes on the contractor who was taking him solely in order to have an educated man in his office for all that mihalevich was not discouraged but as idealist or cynic lived on a crust of bread sincerely rejoicing or grieving over the destinies of humanity and his own vocation and troubling himself very little as to how to escape dying of hunger mihalevich was not married but had been in love times beyond number and had written poems to all the objects of his adoration he sang with a special fervor the praises of a mysterious black-tressed noble polish lady there were rumors it is true that this noble polish lady was a simple jewess very well known to a good many cavalry officers but after all what do you think does it really make any difference with lem mihalevich did not get on his noisy talk and brusque manners scared the german who was unused to such behaviour one poor devil detects another by instinct at once but in old age he rarely gets on with him and that is hardly astonishing he has nothing to share with him not even hopes before setting off mihalevich had another long discussion with lavretsky foretold his ruin if he did not see the error of his ways exhorted him to devote himself seriously to the welfare of his peasants and pointed to himself as an example saying that he had been purified in the furnace of suffering and in the same breath called himself several times a happy man comparing himself with the fowl of the air and the lily of the field a black lily anyway observed lavretsky ah brother don't be a snob retorted mihalevich good-naturedly but thank god rather there is a pure plebeian blood in your veins too but i see that you want some pure heavenly creature to draw you out of your apathy thanks brother remarked lavretsky i have had quite enough of those heavenly creatures silence cynic cried mihalevich cynic lavretsky corrected him cynic just so repeated mihalevich unabashed even when he had taken his seat in the carriage to which his flat yellow strangely light trunk was carried he still talked muffled in a kind of spanish cloak with a collar brown with age and a clasp of two lion's paws he went on developing his views on the destiny of russian and waving his swarthy hand in the air as though he were sowing the seeds of her future prosperity the horses started at last remember my three last words he cried thrusting his whole body out of the carriage and balancing so religion progress humanity farewell his head with a foraging cap pulled down over his eyes disappeared lavretsky was left standing alone on the steps 
and he gazed steadily into the distance along the road till the carriage disappeared out of sight perhaps he is right after all he thought as he went back into the house perhaps i am a loafer many of mihalevich's words had sunk irresistibly into his heart though he had disputed and disagreed with him if a man only has a good heart no one can resist him end of chapters 24 and 25